U.S. forces targeted Iran-backed militants in Iraq in response to attacks on American troops. The second primary election in the U.S. presidential election has taken place in the U.S. state of New Hampshire. And the Oscar nominations have been announced. Who got the nod? And who got snubbed? And now for our final category. With the Oscar nominations revealed, some big names failed to make the cut. Hi, Barbie! Hi, Ken! Today is Wednesday, January 24th. And this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. U.S. forces have attacked Iran-backed militants in Iraq in response to attacks on American personnel in both that country and Syria. Here's VOA's Rick Pantaleo. According to VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb, the strike came shortly after Iranian-backed militants attacked Ain al-Assad airbase in western Iraq with one-way attack drones. The base was also targeted on Saturday by a barrage of ballistic missiles launched from inside Iraq. While most of the missiles were shot down, Pentagon Press Secretary Major General Pat Ryder said those that landed on base caused traumatic brain injuries in four U.S. personnel. Rick Pantaleo, VOA. News. These attacks and counterattacks are all related to the Israel-Hamas war. <laughs> Tuesday saw some of the harshest fighting in Gaza between Israel and Hamas. 24 Israeli soldiers were killed in Gaza, the biggest death toll in a single day since the war began. Also on Tuesday, Palestinians said they saw the most intense bombardment of southern Gaza since the conflict began as well. The details in this report now from Reuters correspondent Lauren Anthony. The deaths were announced as Israel said its forces had encircled southern Gaza's main city, Han Yunis, in a major ground assault, trapping Palestinians trying to flee. An Israeli military spokesman said the soldiers died on Monday when two buildings they had mined for demolition exploded after Hamas militants fired at a nearby tank. Earlier, three soldiers were reported killed in a separate attack in southern Gaza. As mourners attended the funeral of one of the slain servicemen, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed that Israel would not stop fighting in Gaza until it achieved, quote, absolute victory. In Jerusalem, some Israelis spoke of the military losses as a necessary sacrifice. Well, that's horrible. That's horrendous. It's terrible. You know, we, it's, our, it's our sons, it's our brothers, it's, it's terrible. But we got to do what we got to do so that uh, October 7th doesn't happen again. Israel says it's attacking remaining Hamas strongholds in Gaza and trying to clear areas near the border. Gaza's health authorities say at least 195 Palestinians were killed in the previous 24 hours, adding to an overall death toll of more than 25,000. They fear thousands more may be lost in the rubble. Gazans say Israeli forces have blockaded and stormed hospitals, leaving the wounded and dead beyond the reach of rescuers. What happened was that we went to check on our homes and our area in Khan Yunis. When we found the martyrs scattered around, may God help them. Seeing them gives one chills. No matter how hard it was, we would have brought them. 
even if there was an aircraft above us wanting to target us. Although the war still has overwhelming public support in Israel, discontent is emerging over Netanyahu's strategy. The total annihilation of Hamas, but with only vague discussion of what should follow. Hamas has controlled Gaza since 2007 and refuses to recognize Israel. Netanyahu has vowed never to allow an independent Palestinian state, which runs counter to the decades-old Middle East policy of Israel's main ally, Washington. The conflict has been accompanied by unrest elsewhere in the Middle East, including in Lebanon, Iraq, Syria, Yemen and the Red Sea. Reuters correspondent Lauren Anthony. As we heard in that report, Netanyahu has rejected a two-state solution. At the United Nations, Secretary General Antonio Guterres told the Security Council that any refusal to accept the two-state solution by any party must be firmly rejected. Last week's clear and repeated rejection of the two-state solution at the highest level of the Israeli government is unacceptable. And this was despite the strongest appeals from even the friends of Israel, including those sitting around this table. This refusal and the denial of the right to statehood to the Palestinian people would indefinitely prolong a conflict that has become a major threat to global peace and security. It would exacerbate polarization and embolden extremists everywhere. The right of the Palestinian people to build their own fully independent state must be recognized by all. And any refusal to accept a two-state solution by any party must be firmly rejected. Guterres addressing a high-level meeting of the Council on Gaza. In the U.S. state of New Hampshire, former President Donald Trump won the Republican primary election on Tuesday. Nikki Haley hanging in there. Now we've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves saying this race is over. It's not over! New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. At the time of our deadline, the final vote tally was not in. But joining us now to talk about the New Hampshire election from the state is VOA's Carolyn Pursuti. So obviously, the Trump has won the election. That is not a surprise, right? Absolutely. He was predicted to win all along. What Nikki Haley was counting on was lowering the margin between the two, and she certainly accomplished that. Actually, in her speech tonight, she said, we were at 2% in the polls, but I'm a fighter, and I'm scrappy, and I'm the last one standing next to Donald Trump. And that was certainly a reference of the percentages that separate the two tonight. She said, this race is far from over. We have dozens of states left to go. And, of course, the next state that she's headed to is South Carolina. She's a former governor from South Carolina, and um, so is expected to have more of an edge there, although the former president, Donald Trump, has had a lot of South Carolinian officials supporting him in this race so far. It's an unusual election cycle in that 
I can never remember before being at the New Hampshire primary, the second contest of the election season, and already talking about the uh, two presumptive winners, uh, President Biden and former President Trump, for the general election. And back in the day, I mean, four years ago, eight years ago, even 12 years ago, you know, the number one front runner in these primaries would not go on to win the nomination. I mean, take, for example, President Joe Biden. He placed fifth in the New Hampshire primary four years ago. And look, he was elected president, right? He became the nominee of the Democratic Party and went on to win the presidency. So usually we, we took this as a barometer at the very beginning of the election season, but it certainly would ebb and flow as we moved on through the uh, election season and upsets happened. What's, um, what's the mood, the voters, that you've run into? Well, they're very different. I mean, for the Trump voters, and specifically the, the Trump voters who are here right now, a lot of the volunteers, a lot of the voters are waiting for Trump to speak, and they are total 100% in on Trump. I had one man say to me, I would lay down my life for that guy. When you talk to the Haley voters, a lot of the Haley voters were independent. In this state, when they walk into a polling place, they can actually ask for either a Republican or a Democratic ballot if they're listed as undeclared or independent. So a lot of those independents that I spoke to in the Nikki Haley line waiting for their rallies would tell me that they came to hear her to decide if they want to vote for her. Some had already decided they were going to vote for her, even though they were independent. And she certainly was counting on those independents to narrow the gap between, between her and the former president. VOA's Carolyn Presidio reporting from New Hampshire. following these other stories from around the world. North Korea fired multiple cruise missiles around 7 a.m. on Wednesday. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said the missiles were fired into the water off the western coast. Two U.S. lawmakers arrived in Taipei on Wednesday. In a show of support after the presidential election, it is the second visit by U.S. officials this month. Almost one in three South Africans approve of former President Jacob Zuma, whose new political venture is expected to cost the ruling ANC votes in this year's election, according to a new poll out on Tuesday. South Africa will hold its general elections later this year in what's expected to be the most competitive vote since the advent of democracy in 1994. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken visited the sub-regional Rice Research Institute in Abidjan on Tuesday with the president of the African Development Bank. A couple of years ago, uh, as we faced uh, an almost perfect storm of crises that were having a huge effect on food security around the world, the combination of climate change, uh, of COVID, and then conflict, including Russia's aggression against Ukraine, we were seeing the devastating impact that was having. And of course, when you got that kind of crisis. You want to jump in and do everything you possibly can on an emergency basis to help people. And that's that's exactly what the United States did, Uh, providing billions of dollars in additional assistance to countries in need. Uh, We're by far the number one uh, donor to the World Food Program. Uh, We are honored as well uh, to be one of the closest partners to the African Development Bank. 
Tuesday's funding announcement supplements $300 million the U.S. has already invested in coastal West Africa over the past two years. The last two destinations for Blinken's trip are Nigeria and Angola. International Edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. Turkey endorsed Sweden's membership in NATO on Tuesday, lifting a major hurdle on Sweden's entry into the alliance. Reuters correspondent Christy Kilburn has the details. Sweden and Finland asked to join NATO in 2022 following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Turkey surprised some members by raising objections. It said the two countries protected groups that Ankara deems terrorists. In April of last year, it endorsed Finland's membership. But, along with Hungary, kept Sweden waiting. Ankara had urged Stockholm to toughen its stance on local members of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, which the European Union and United States also deem a terrorist group. In response, Sweden introduced a new anti-terrorism bill that makes being a member of a terrorist organization illegal. In addition, Sweden, Finland, Canada, and the Netherlands also took steps to relax Turkey arms export policies. Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan has linked Sweden's ratification to U.S. approval of sales of F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. A sale the White House backs. Now that Parliament has ratified the move, Erdogan is expected to sign it into law within days. That would leave Hungary as the only NATO member state which hasn't approved Sweden's accession. It had pledged it wouldn't be the last ally to ratify, but its parliament is in recess until around mid-February. Prime Minister Viktor Orban said on Tuesday he has invited Sweden's leader to visit and negotiate. Sweden's membership bid marked a historic shift away from decades of military neutrality. And joining the bloc will enhance NATO defenses in the Baltic Sea region. Ankara's delays, while enabling it to extract some concessions, also frustrated some of its Western allies. Reuters correspondent Christy Kilburn. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin attended a meeting on Ukraine's military needs, virtually, from his house on Tuesday, as the defense chief continues to recover from complications of prostate cancer treatment that led to his secret hospitalization. Ukraine's fight is important for all of our countries. Ukraine's incredibly brave troops are continuing their battle against the Kremlin's invaders, against the vast front line in Ukraine's east and south, in bitter winter weather. Ukraine's defenders continue to inflict significant losses on the Kremlin's forces. Putin continues to sacrifice staggering numbers of Russian troops in his rash and reckless war of choice. And Putin hopes that missiles and drones will demoralize the Ukrainian people and break the fighting spirit of the Ukrainian military. So I urge this group to dig deep to provide Ukraine with more life-saving ground-based air defense systems and interceptors. And Ukraine has answered Putin's cruelty with courage 
and defiance. China's human rights record was examined Tuesday by the United Nations Human Rights Council Universal Periodic Review. It's a mechanism where countries scrutinize each other's human rights records and issue non-binding recommendations. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. China came under intense scrutiny amid withering criticism from Western democratic societies for its brutal treatment of Uyghurs, Tibetans, and dissidents in Hong Kong. China came prepared with a 60-member delegation ready to fend off whatever verbal abuse came its way. China's ambassador to the UN in Geneva, Chen Shu, rejected accusations that China has committed serious human rights violations against the Uyghurs that might amount to crimes against humanity. He said China strove to deliver a better, happy life for all people. He said that after eight years of continued hard work, China has lifted nearly 180 million people out of poverty. He spoke through an interpreter. No one is left out or left behind as China builds a modern socialist country in all respects. The people of all 56 ethnic groups of China are equal and closely united like the seeds of the pomegranate, working together for common prosperity and development and for a better life for all. China's delegation also dismissed international criticism of the government's harsh crackdown on pro-democracy parties in Hong Kong. The chief secretary for administration in Hong Kong, Chan Kwaki Eric, accused dissidents of violent behavior, which he said threatened the peace and security of the territory. He spoke through an interpreter. With the implementation of the Hong Kong national security law and an improved electoral system, the days of social disturbance and fear are now over. Stability as well as law and order has been restored and our city is back on track. Each country comes under Human Rights Council review once every five years or so. This was China's first review since 2018. Western democracies attending the conference view China's glowing report about its accomplishments on behalf of its people with skepticism. They spoke forthrightly about their concerns. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N. in Geneva, Michelle Taylor, called for the release of all people arbitrarily detained, an end to torture and persecution throughout China. She made several other recommendations as well and repressive measures against women, LGBTQI plus persons, laborers, and migrant workers, including in Hong Kong and Macau, permit the UN unhindered and meaningful access, particularly in Xinjiang and Tibet. We condemn the ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity in Xinjiang and transnational repression to silence individuals abroad. While delegates were verbally sparring with China inside the council chamber, several human rights groups were demonstrating against China's repressive policies outside the UN building. Lisa Schlein for VOA News. Geneva. And finally, the nominations for the Oscars were announced Tuesday in Los Angeles. And it's not just who got nominated, but who didn't get nominated. The snubs and surprises, always the big story on nomination day, and this year, no different. Let's get the rundown now from Reuters correspondent Olivia Zolino. And now for our final category. With the Oscar nominations revealed, some big names failed to make the cut. Hi, Barbie! Hi, Ken! Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, the women who helped make Barbie a runaway success, were left out of the directing and lead actress categories. 
And Leonardo DiCaprio, who played the lead in Killers of the Flower Moon, was passed over by Hollywood's Film Academy for lead actor. While both films snagged two of the 10 Best Picture nominations, entertainment reporter Liz Trenier said the snubs are notable. The conversation around Barbie is obviously Margot Robbie did not get the nomination, Greta Gerwig did not get the nomination, Dua Lipa did not get the nomination. However, America Ferreira did, and we'll also be seeing Ryan Gosling perform I'm Just Ken on that Oscar stage. Barbie snagged eight nominations in total, including Gerwig for Best Adapted Screenplay. But while the film came out on top in the summer box office, it is rival Oppenheimer that racked up more Oscar nominations. The epic film about the race to build the first atomic bomb landed 13 nods, including Best Picture. About what's happening here. Killian Murphy, who plays the titular role, is also in the running for lead actor. It's Oppenheimer. Everybody's singing for Oppenheimer. It's the most nominated film this year, which is no surprise. Also left out, Penelope Cruz for her supporting role in the high-speed racing drama Ferrari. Bradley Cooper was left off the Best Director list for Maestro, though he was nominated for Best Actor. Oh, Miss And among the overlooked films, The Color Purple received only one nomination. The winners are chosen by the roughly 11,000 actors, producers, directors, and film craftspeople who make up the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. More women and people of color were added following the hashtag OscarSoWhite uproars of 2015 and 2016. Talk show host Jimmy Kimmel will return as host of the Oscars ceremony, which will be broadcast live on Walt Disney's ABC on March 10th. Reuters correspondent Olivia Zolino. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of everyone here at VOA, thank you so much for joining us. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com. In Washington, I'm Scott Walterman. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States is deeply concerned by reports of a recent crackdown by the government of Kyrgyzstan against independent media outlets and journalists. On January 16th, the Kyrgyz police detained 11 journalists who were working or had worked for various independent outlets, exposing alleged corruption involving Kyrgyz elites. On January 15th, police in the capital, Bishkek, raided the newsroom of the independent outlet 24.KG and briefly detained and interrogated its director and two top editors. Authorities also confiscated equipment and mobile phones of other 24.KG reporters, sent them home, and sealed the office, according to local media. This wave of arrests on the basis of a dubious charge amounts to a purge of local investigative journalism, said Jean Cavalier, head of Reporters Without Borders, Eastern Europe and Central Asia desk. Investigating corruption is not a crime, and police should not be used as a tool of intimidation, she added. 
Kyrgyzstan's interior ministry claimed the arrests were over material calling for mass riots on the social media pages of the outlets of 8-8 Desi and Temurov Live. In a joint statement, eight human rights groups, including Human Rights Watch, called on Kyrgyz authorities to take immediate and decisive steps to bring the country's respect for press freedom in accordance with its international obligations and to drop the criminal cases that have been initiated against these independent media outlets. In the last few years, independent media and journalists, bloggers, and others critical of the Kyrgyz government's policies have faced increasing pressure, including politically motivated criminal cases, arrests, and imprisonment, noted Human Rights Watch. The websites of independent news sites have been arbitrarily blocked, and the authorities have attempted to close down media organizations because of their independent reporting, including a case against the Kyrgyz Service of Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty, which led to its bank account being frozen. These actions contribute to a pattern of government activity that appears aimed at stifling public debate and free expression, said State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller in a statement. We encourage the Kyrgyz authorities to ensure journalists can operate without undue pressure or harassment. A free and independent press is essential for protecting human rights, maintaining effective democratic institutions, and promoting peace and security. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.